Good evening, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so good to see you here. It's so good to have the people with visiting us by live stream. I think we would all agree that, um, that this life has its uh, r- rough places. It's not a walk in the park. Uh, there are many times when we really need the wisdom of God, wisdom from above. And that's what we're going to give our attention to tonight. We're going to be talking about wisdom. And we're going to look at it in a, a way that has a little bit of uh, continuity, I hope. It's, uh, we're actually going to treat it kind of like a meal. Uh, we're going to have an appetizer first, and then we're going to get into the main course. Uh, the appetizer comes from the book in the Bible that has more to say about wisdom than any other. And y'all know which book that is. It's Proverbs. Uh, the main course is coming from the New Testament. Anybody dare guess where that might be? It's coming from the book of James. So what we're going to do, we're going to, first of all, just uh, take some selections from Proverbs. Y'all have heard, uh, we'll go through uh, eight or nine verses. Uh, verses that you've all heard and you're all familiar with. Some of them you can quote by heart. But the idea of going through this appetizer with Proverbs is to um, refresh our thoughts about wisdom and to rekindle our hunger for it. It's something we need to hunger because it's something we so desperately need in every avenue of our walk in in this life. So first of all, uh, from Proverbs, we're going to find out that its giver is God. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. It is the principal thing. Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with thy getting, get understanding. Its precious offspring is understanding, as it was touched on in the previous verse. Proverbs 10, 13a says, In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Then Proverbs 14:33a says, Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. I think we can make this comparison that wisdom and understanding are close brothers. As a matter of fact, you could say they're the closest of brothers. I would say that they're twins with wisdom coming out of the birth canal first. So as soon as wisdom comes out, understanding always abides with wisdom. Wisdom is priceless. Proverbs 8, 11 says, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Wisdom is eternal. Rubies and gold and silver and all things in this present world are temporal and only give momentary satisfaction. Wisdom cannot 
coexist with pride. Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. I'd like for us to pause here for a, a minute or two. We want to look at a verse out of uh, the Gospel of Luke. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at uh, a couple of short parables that Jesus taught related to this idea about pride and, and uh, lowliness and how wisdom is really, it's like a brother to lowliness. So Luke 14, looking at verse 17, starting at verse 17, we're going to read through verse 14. This is Jesus speaking, or this is about Jesus uh, meeting in a house. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out of the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou, begin, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And Jesus goes further to say, Then he said also to them that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. We can put this in the current day vernacular very succinctly. I think you've heard this expression about tooting your own horn, you know, when you toot your own horn, the sound is often not well received. And actually the outcome is opposite of that which you desire. Wisdom has a starting point. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. <clears throat> I want to read a poem to you. Brother Mike actually introduced this poem on Sunday night. Uh, was, uh, it's kind of interesting, I think, that the Lord brought that about. I think that's his hand at work. I, I actually uh, heard this poem when I was listening to uh, uh, Pastor Mark Minnick preach a sermon. I, I believe it's Tuesday morning uh, or and it was, it was a few days ago, he actually read this poem and I thought it was interesting that this poem was really reached, was brought before my eyes, my ears, by two men uh, before I had the chance to, wanted to share it with y'all. But the, the title of the poem is Invictus. It's written by a British poet by the name of William 
Ernest Henley. William Ernest Henley was a, was a well-respected man in his day. Uh, this is back in the 1800s. The poem was written in 1875. But as most of y'all probably know by now, uh, especially if you were here when Mike read the last verse, uh, William Ernest Henley was an atheist, a devout atheist. And here's the poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I think it's very fitting that William Ernest Henley finished his poem with those last two lines because it's really reflective of his position what he thinks about God, which is nothing. Did you hear what he said? He said, those last two lines, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Who is the I am? God is the I am. And yet this man thinks himself to be and as Brother Brian has been telling us, has been instructing us, we are in an age where there are people walking around, leading our country with high position and with great power. And you, they, all of them have, though you can't see it, I am across their foreheads because each has no regard for God, nor do they want to be bound by him. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. We're going to look at the first five verses of that psalm. And as you're looking at this, I want you to, to think about what Brother Brian has, what his question is in, in the series he's presenting. He says, who is right? Is man right or is God right? Psalm 2, verse, starting at verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And then shall he speak unto him, to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God is a God of wrath when wrath is necessary. And when men go around proclaiming themselves to be God and they want to break the bands of the creator of this whole universe, they are sadly mistaken. That, it is so ridiculous that in this, in verse four of this Psalm, it says this, he that 
He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And it's not that he thinks it's humorous. He's laughing because it is unthinkable that a mere man could think himself more elevated than God. So now we've, we're finished with the appetizer, so we're going to the main course. What does James have to say? Turn to, to the book of James. We're going to look at a verse that, m- that many of you have uh, read many times in your lives. We're going to give it a little attention and then proceed on to some other verses. We'll look at, first of all, at James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If any of you, first few words of that verse, no one is excluded. This verse, this precious promise from God's word is for anyone, is for you, is for me, is for anyone that's watching my live stream. It is for all peoples if they would simply take it and, and believe it. If any of you lack wisdom, have you ever come to the place where you've been in a situation and you've made decisions about how I'm going to handle this? And afterwards you might wonder, well, did I handle it right? And you may actually come to the decision that you didn't. And you may be able, the Lord may pinpoint some way in which really what you thought was wisdom was not wisdom and you handled it wrong. So, if, so at that point, if any of you lack wisdom, for whatever reason you have performed a self-assessment and you find your walk, your words, your disposition, your facial expressions, your affections do not display the attribute of wisdom. So what do you do? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's what you do. I hope that's what you do because that's what we need to do. There is only one source of wisdom. That's God himself. We read that in Proverbs 2, 6. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to have it. It is his desire that we have it. It brings him pleasure that we have wisdom. It is there for us. He wants us to have it abundantly to the point of overflowing so that it blesses the people around us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men, listen, liberally, overflowing, and upbraideth not. God gives freely. He does not condemn you as you condemn you as being unworthy. He doesn't say, I can't believe you are asking me for that based on what you just did. He does not do that. He does not upbraid those who ask for this precious, precious attribute. He does not scold you for asking. He wants you to ask. 
Satan does not want you to ask. Satan will point to your sin and he'll say, you, are, you think God is going to do anything for you after what you did. And sometimes we just kind of fold up. We, we just fold up in our own little cocoon and we don't go to the source of wisdom. That's exactly where we need to go in all circumstances, no matter what, how we feel about our spiritual condition. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And what's going to happen? And it shall be given him. You will get it. He will give it to you. Now there is a condition and it's found in the first part of the next verse. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. God, if you don't have faith, you cannot please God. And I trust that everybody here has faith. You have faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you because you know your condition and you needed a savior and you knew him to be the only person who could save you from your sins. James 1, 6a, the very next phrase, this great promise is given to you. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it and he's going to give it to you. But here's the question, or here's, 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 here's what James says further. But let, let him ask in faith. And I think when you, before you actually go before the Lord to ask for wisdom, it would be good just to sit down and rehearse what he has done for you. Remind yourself of who he is, of his great love, of his great sacrifice, so that you can have faith when you come before him and ask for this precious wisdom. Folks, we, you and I, those that have been born of the Spirit of God, we have the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. He resides within. Philippians 2.13 says this, says this, that it is God in us that is, is doing this. He's, he's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit is in you, is in me, if you know Jesus as your Savior. And he is at work. And as this verse says, that he's, his primary purpose in working in you is for, to bring about two things in you, primarily. It is to, for you to have the will to do his good pleasure. And I hope you, I hope you have that. And he had, gives you the power to do his good pleasure. He is inside us. Our source of wisdom is closer than a breath away. Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? That God himself actually resides within you. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It is, he's there. And he wants to do for you what is expressed in verse 5. Do you believe it? Yes, believe it. And you're going to get what you're asking for. Yield to him in assurance of faith, 
and you will find that his presence is effectual even in you, even in me. Sometimes we think so little of ourselves, and that we should a lot. But God doesn't think little of us. He loves us, and he wants the Holy Spirit to be effectual in our lives. It's simply, does the Holy Spirit possess us? Now, I want to ask three questions as we go along here before we go to chapter 3 of James. The first question is this, is there a counterfeit to wisdom from above? The answer to that question is yes. There is a counterfeit to wisdom from above. Okay, that being the case, the second question is this. Can even a Christian exercise counterfeit wisdom? Yes, they can. How can that be? Well, have you been adopted yet? Have you received your body, which is incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away? No, you still have a sin nature. And that sin nature is going, every time you get before the Lord to ask for wisdom, that sin nature is going to want you to doubt that he's even there to hear you. And if he was there, he doesn't want to give it to you. We have a sin nature, and sometimes we can exercise counterfeit wisdom. Third question. Can a Christian deceive himself as to the type of wisdom he is displaying? Yes, sometimes, I think you've been in this situation. You've got a, something, some tough circumstances come about. And you're having to make some decisions. You make the decisions. And as we mentioned just a, a few minutes ago, you realize after the fact that though you thought that you were exercising this spiritual wisdom, in fact, you were exercising something different. Now, here's the question, and these verses in James are going to answer it so well. How do we discern the type of wisdom that we are displaying? How do we discern whether it's wisdom from above or it's a counterfeit wisdom? Well, these next few verses are, are going to give us some very clear, precise, observable indicators about what kind of wisdom we are exhibiting or demonstrating. So turn over to James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses, read through verses 13 through 18. And then we'll spend a little bit of time on the individual verses. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. <clears throat> Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So let's take a look at verse 13. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with the meekness of wisdom. Okay, you think yourself to be wise and endued with knowledge. Well, does your walk line up with what you think about yourself? That is what this verse is, is saying. If you, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show, let him demonstrate it. In what way? Out of a good conversation, his works with the meekness of wisdom. So right off the bat, we have a key overarching attribute of wisdom from above, and that is meekness. Wisdom from God is meekness. A person who is wise is a meek person. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Bitter envying and strife in your hearts. We need to examine ourselves. What is in our hearts? Sometimes we might be surprised if we are really honest about what we want. Are we, are we really looking into the depths? Do we have, is the light that, we're, that we have, do we hold it bright enough and in the right places? We need to examine ourselves. What's in our heart? It says, but if you have, if we find that there's bitter envying and strife in your hearts, and Christians can find that in their hearts. The Bible tells us this. It says, glory not and lie not against the truth. Have you ever been in a position where you had some, felt like you had almost a divine revelation about a particular matter of scripture and, and boy, you are sticking with it and nobody's going to tell you any different and you're pretty haughty about it? Tell you what, I've been there and I found out that uh, the Lord has a way of correcting that. Sometimes we can be pretty proud of ourselves thinking that we have put people in their place. There's this idea that you hear talk, people talking about some other people who says, well, you don't have to uh, worry or guess where he stands or where she stands. You know, if, if that's the case, that person's not very wise because they're, they're a loose cannon. You know, they, at the least little thing, they demonstrate what they believe in. What, what is their position? And they're so willing to express it. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Verse 15. It says, going back to verse 14, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. What is the truth? It's in verse 15. Paul, I mean, James makes it very plain. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. That is the truth about our wisdom at times, that we think it's from above 
and actually is from the other realm. It is earthly. It smacks of worldly values. It is sensual. It, it idolizes pleasure and personal gain. It is devilish. It has the approval of the devil himself. For the agenda of the devil takes a step forward when we engage in counterfeit wisdom. Wisdom that brings about envying and strife. Verse 16. So what about envying and strife? For where envying and strife is, what's the fruit of that? There is confusion and every evil work. And now to the, to the key verse. This, this is the filet mignon, if you could put it that way. So verse 17 says this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In a minute, I'm going to read something I took out of Matthew Henry's commentary with a few uh, little edits, I think, for clarity. But as you look at these eight indicators of wisdom from above, I don't know if you like me, so when I look at them, I ask myself, I examine myself, is what I'm displaying, is it pure? Is, uh, is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it easy to be entreated? Is it full of mercy and good fruits? Is it without partiality? Is it without hypocrisy? The, the one, one of those may hit you harder than the other ones. The one that, that hit me the hardest, I think, is, is, is easy to be entreated. You know, sometimes I, hopefully I don't, haven't sensed this to a great degree, but sometimes I am pretty uh, bullheaded and uh, I, I believe what I believe and I can't, you cannot talk with me about this particular thing. That's not wisdom from above. As I'm looking, I shouldn't have looked at my wife. When, <laughs> sorry, she would, one of y'all could agree with me, I'm sure. But it's like, um, I know what's right and you're not going to, tell me any different, and I'm not even going to listen to you. That's not wisdom. So as you look at these, some of those may hit you stronger than others. This, is, uh, this comes primarily from Matthew Henry. I have uh, tried to interject a little something here and there to, to, in my mind to make it a little bit more understandable since his uh, writing sometimes can get a little, uh, little deep. But this, is, this comes from him. It says this. It says, uh, true wisdom is God's gift. It's very simple. It is not gained by conversing with men, nor by the knowledge of the world, as some think and speak, but it, but it comes from above. It consists of these several things, and he's going to go through these eight attributes, actually seven if you combine a couple of them. It is pure. It is free from iniquity and defilements, not allowing of any known sin, but studious of holiness both in heart and life. Two, the wisdom that is from above is peaceable. Peace follows purity and depends upon it. 
Those who are truly wise do what they can to preserve peace, that it may not be broken, and to make peace where it is lost, and where it is lost that it may be restored. In kingdoms, in families, in churches, in all societies, and in all interviews and transactions, heavenly wisdom makes men peaceable. Do you, did you, one of the th- places where peace is needed, you know what, do you hear what Matthew Henry said? One of the places in churches? I'm telling you what, if you have an agenda to disturb the peace in the body of Christ, you had better watch out. Because God is going to exercise his discipline upon you, and he should rightly do that. But it's in all in families. That's the one that probably we hopefully I get hope we struggle with most is in, in families because it's the people that we're around most. Number three, wisdom is gentle. It does not stand upon extreme right. It's not obstinate about, obstinate about opinions. It is not rude or overbearing in conversation or action. It is not harsh or cruel in temper. Four, it is easy to be entreated. This is where, it, where I fall short so often, it seems. It is very persuadable either toward that which is good or from that which is evil. It yields to the persuasions of God's word and to all just and reasonable counsels or requests of other people. It is willing to give up a disagreement where there appears a good reason for it and where a good end may be answered by it. Five, heavenly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits to to combine here. It is inwardly disposed to everything that is kind and good. It, 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 to the extent it can, relieves those who have needs. It readily forgives those that offend. Heavenly wisdom is without partiality. It holds all in equal standing, regardless of their possessions of fame or fortune. It takes no position merely to to suit its own preferences, nor does it make judgments based on circumstantial evidence. It extends grace to all. It does not censor others simply because they have a different opinion. Finally, wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. It has no disguises nor deceits. It cannot fall in with those managements which the world counts wise, which are crafty and guileful, but it is sincere and open, steady and uniform, and consistent in all its dealings with others. Then going on to verse 18. Precious peace. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
you're, you're, going, you're, you're going to um, find that peace follows the footsteps of a person that has wisdom from above. It's, you're going to find it's going to be there. As I was really, I thought the pastor's message Sunday morning was, was so good. Of course, all his messages are so good. But it's talk about the savor, the smell. As, as he preached last Sunday, if you are around a person with wisdom from above, it's going to smell good. The savor is going to be there. And it's going to be sweet. And you're going to want to be around that person. You know, and you enjoy being around him wherever he goes. Now we have a simple admonition as we're getting toward our close and found in Philippians 2.3. So it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You can recognize that word strife. That's one of the characteristics of wisdom that is earthly, devilish, sensual. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, through pride, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And in closing, I'd like for us to turn to one verse in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. This is a verse I memorized years ago, and I know I've, I've shared this many times. Hopefully, well, I'd say hopefully none of y'all remember it. I hope you do remember it, but this is really a, a wonderful verse. This is, this is Paul's reason Paul is rejoicing. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And I, what I'd like for us to do, if it comes to mind, that the Lord would bring it to mind when, when you go to bed tonight and you lay your head on your pillow, think about this. Think about the day you had. And think about this verse. It says this. Paul's saying, Paul, this is Paul's testimony, wonderful testimony. For our rejoicing is this. Paul says, there's something that I'm rejoicing about. I don't tell you what it is. The testimony of our conscience. You know, when you're lying in bed at night and it's dark and it's like you're there by yourself, you can't, your conscience can... Be very keen. You know, you be very sensitive to what your conscience is telling you. And rightly so. God made it that way. And we need to examine ourselves. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. But Paul's saying this. My conscience is bearing testimony to me about something. And it brings me joy. Does your, when, you, when you listen to your conscience, do you find yourself just rejoicing in what it testifies about you. That's what Paul is saying. But what is it that, that it's rejoicing about? That in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world. Wow. If we can lay our heads on the bed and our conscience would bear testimony to that, we would rejoice also. That in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've lived this day. When we look back over this day, was, was that our disposition through the day? 
And if we can, if our consciousness, yes, praise the Lord. Oh, I, you know, I don't come to that place very often. I have had it at times. But that's, that is the testimony of our conscience that God would have be born to us every, all the time. And especially, I think, when we consider what we went through. But that's not all. It says, when, when we experience that, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world. And then, and more abundantly toward you. If you, if you possess an exercise, you do possess, heaven, wisdom from above resides inside you. But are you possessing it? Or is it possessing you rather? Are you taking advantage? If you do, what you're going to happen, you're going, your, your testimony of your conscience is going to cause you to rejoice. And the effect of that kind of life, living that kind of life, is going to overflow to those people around you. It says this, and more abundantly to you, word. That should be the desire of every person in here. That the love of Christ, the wisdom from above, would so fill us that it would overflow us and that we would be touching our brothers and sisters abundantly from that standpoint. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be ministering to one another with words, with teaching, with preaching, but with just a demonstration of a life that walks in, in the wisdom from above that God readily gives to those who ask it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great and precious promise your word says in one of the Peter letters that by the great and precious promises, we can partake of the divine nature. Dear Lord, what a wonder that is. And dear Lord, your promise to give us wisdom from above if simply we would ask for it in faith. But we have to recognize that we need it, dear Father. So Father, if there's a need, bring it to our mind, dear Lord, and give us the faith to ask for it. And Father, we will thank you for answering that prayer for your glory and for our closer walk with thee. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.